Well, as you can see, today is, um, today is an important day. Today is a day um, as we enter into David's story that's um, it's filled with all kind of twists and turns and reality for every one of us. And I don't know about you, uh, you might be a planner here today. Um, I like to plan too. Um, but I've realized, like probably many of you, that plans don't always go the way you plan. Right? Sometimes... That's somebody else's decision, you know. Maybe that's sometimes it's your own bad decision. Sometimes it's just the chaos of life that you didn't see coming. And suddenly your plans are out the window and you're like, what do I do with all this? And if we're not careful, that can in, it can trigger an internal sense, right, of fear or of worry or of frozenness or of disappointment. Because I think this is true for many of us. Um, when, we, when our plans don't go the way you expect, Many of us enter into that, and here, the tension that is created is because we're under the impression that, like, God promised me, right? Or, or God, God, you owe me. You know, I, I behaved. I did all the right things, God. Why isn't this working out? I, I raised them right. I did that right. I waited. I behaved. Why isn't this working out? Why hasn't cause and effect, right? Like, I did my part, now that just should equal, you know, I did all the right things, now that should just equal the way this needs to come. And sometimes it even feels like God's doing for others something that you're like, why aren't you doing that for me? And the question that we all come to is this, why, why and what do I do when my dreams don't come true? When I'm stuck, you know, when, I'm, when you're sitting in disappointment, and, and the reason this is so important today for us to tackle this and to understand it and to talk about this in a, real, in a really authentic way is because if you don't understand how to walk through this with God, more than likely you will walk away from God because that's what's at stake. And that's what's at stake in David's story too. And that you're not alone. You're not the first ones to have entered into life this way, to experience life this way. This was also a big part of David's life, a big thing that we can learn in the lessons of chaos. You remember, if you remember throughout this whole conversation this last month, when David was in his 20s, right, he got this promise, things seemed to go well, and then and he thought, man, I'm headed towards being a king, and then King Saul made some decisions, decided that he was going to chase him down, that he was going to kill him, and David's dreams kind of died. And out in the wilderness and on the run, when things weren't going well, he thought he had a plan, but it all didn't go the way he wanted to play out. And, and, and he felt like, you know, God had made some very specific promises. You ever have that? Like where you felt like God revealed something to you very specific that he was going to do, and you're like, God, what, where are you? Why isn't this going? Like that was, that was David. There's a lot of disappointment. And 20 years later, as king, you know, when he finally gets to this place where he's king now, his plans start unraveling, but he doesn't, can't blame King Saul anymore because King Saul's not in the picture. And as it turns out, one of the lessons he learns from his own broken plans is that it's his own fault. Like, it's some of his own decisions that have unraveled. And it's so important for us to pay attention to what's happening in our lives, to, to these moments when things don't go the way we plan, 
because God wants to meet us there. And so this is the stage of life we enter with David today. He's in his 50s, right? And now, now in ancient times, I, I just turned 50 this year, okay? So in ancient times, and I, and I complained that, like, things creak. My, actually, my son told me the other day, he's like, Dad, you know, I woke up this morning, and one of my muscles just, like, hurt. Like, I didn't really do anything. Have that ever happened to you? And I'm like, dude, I'm 50. That's like every day, right? Every day I get up and go, like, oh, yeah, I hurt. That's right. I forgot overnight, right? But, that, like, in ancient times when you were 50, I mean, you were old. I mean, you were, like, you were like in that really smell-bad time of life, you know? You were, like, like, your teeth were missing. Things weren't good. You were not handsome anymore. There were not girls knocking down your door anymore if you're David, right? Like, he's, he's that stage of life. I mean, he's that place of life, right, where he, he used to be wanted, he used to be admired. Now he's the old, crusty king that lives in the castle, right? This is who David has become. And he wants so bad to have that feeling that we all want, like, am I significant? Am I wanted? Do I? And he, he wants all of those things so badly, but they're not coming natural anymore. They've been stripped away because he's 50 and in ancient times, 50 is old. So he's in the stage of life where, you know, there's all the things that he thought were going to happen for the kingdom. You know, the, he's still at war. He's still fighting for them. Only he can't go off to war anymore, so he sends people off to war. And in that time when he's sending people off to war and he's feeling this emptiness and he's feeling like things have not gone the way that way he wanted and he's disappointed and the expectations aren't the way he, he, he wants them to go, he makes this catastrophic decision. Gets up one night in the middle of the night, goes up to the top of his house, top of his castle, standing on the top of where he lives, looking down over the kingdom. I don't know what all he was thinking, but there he is out there, and he looks down over the kingdom, and he sees this house, and he looks down, and he sees a woman, Uriah's wife, and she's bathing on the rooftop. And he says, who's that? He says to one of his servants, who's that lady? And, she, and of course, he says, listen, this is Uriah's wife. And Uriah was one of his most loyal and trusted advisors. He was one of his generals and commanders who was heroic. I mean, he was, he was like, this is, this is Uriah the Hittite's wife, Bathsheba. And so David says, in this catastrophic moment, he says, send her to me. I'm lonely. I'm empty. I want something. I don't know where I'm to get it. Send her to me. Now, this is, remember, this is why... God said originally, like, I don't want you to have a king. I need to be your king because if you have a human king, you won't be able to say no to that king, and things will go sideways because the humans are always broken. They always have things they need to heal from. Don't have a king because you can't say no to the king. So servant sends Bathsheba, and Bathsheba, she can't say no to the king. So she comes to the king. She comes to Dave. And if you know the story, you know that they spend the night together, maybe not just one night together, but several nights together. And eventually she sends him a note, and it says, oh no, I'm pregnant. And David, you ever have that moment in your life where you get caught with your hands in the cookie jar, so to speak? You know what I mean? You get, you're red-handed. You, 
Like, you know, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I just got caught. I shouldn't do it. And this sense of panic. You ever feel that? That sense of panic that comes in. You're like, oh, man, I got to fix this. I, I don't even know what to do. And so you just get desperate, and you start trying to fix it on your own. You don't go. You don't run to God. You just, you, you don't, you're ashamed. You're like, oh, man, so this is David, right? He's going to fix this on his own, this desperate attempt. And so here's what he does. He calls Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back from the battlefield. He thinks, I got this. He calls him back from the battlefield for a report. And then he says, hey, while you're home, since you gave me this report, why don't you just go and see your wife? Spend the night with her. So he goes to bed, wakes up the next morning, and Uriah is camped outside the king's home because he will not go and do that while his men are dying in battle. And so David then tries to get him drunk and send him on his way. Still Uriah, is just, he's too honorable of a man. He's too noble of a man. He's, he's principled. So David, in his desperation, thinks, okay. So he writes out a letter to Joab, his commander, his general. He says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into the hottest part of battle, and I want you to have Uriah lead all the troops there. And when it gets really hot, when things get really fierce, I want you to withdraw everybody but him. And then he seals it with the king's seal. He gives it to Uriah, the death warrant. He gives it to Uriah and says, deliver this to Joab. Imagine this. Like how... The, 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 where David has, where is David at? Where is this guy who's like principled? He's desperate. And so he sends Uriah to his death and Uriah dies in battle. battle. Now Bathsheba mourns and, and David, he takes in Bathsheba so that, you know, hey, look, isn't the king wonderful? You know, this woman's Husband has died in battle, and she's pregnant. He's taking her in. He's going to raise that child as his own. Isn't he a great guy? And everything, you know, David's like, oh, look, I've managed. I've controlled. I've figured it out. Except this wasn't just a secret, because in a world where there's lots of servants, the walls speak, and the prophet Nathan hears about it. And the prophet Nathan comes, and he he comes to David, right? And the, the Bathsheba and David are married now, and, and Nathan comes to him, and he tells him the story. Now, this is like, you got to read the story. This is like one of the most fun and amazing scenes in Scripture. It's one of those things where you just like sit back, and you look at Nathan, and you're like, I, I am so admiring you right now. Like, so what courage it took that he would come into to David's presence, and he tells him this, this fictitious story. This is like really amazing. He tells him this fictitious story, and David, he is engaged in the story, and the story is about this guy who mistreats others, and, and, and he's like, man, he gets to the end of the story, and David's like, who is this man? He needs to, like, he needs to be dealt with severely. This is the really cool part of the story. Nathan says, right, he looks at him, and it's like the moment like we're like, yeah, I wish I was that good. Right? I wish I could do that. Like Nathan looks at him and he says, David, you are that man. And David could have been defensive, right? David could have been like, I am not that man. I can't believe that you would say that about me. David could have done all those things. But here's, 
Here's the irony of David's life. Here's the importance of David's life. In this moment when he could have been defensive, David becomes heartbroken. He realizes, ha, oh, I've sabotaged my life. I've wrecked everything. What have I done? He becomes heartbroken. And, and, and here's the problem, and I hope that you'll, you'll listen to this because this is really important in this scene, and we're going to get to the, this first scripture here, is that Every time we make one of those terrible decisions, every time we say, I'm just, I just sin a little bit, just sin a little bit, I'll just do this one thing that's not God's best, but I'm just going to do it anyway, I'm going to move into it. Every time we do that, doesn't matter how religious we are, doesn't matter how whatever we are, doesn't matter what our background is, it doesn't matter, there is a consequence for our sin. Sin Always, every sin has a price, and it's built right into it. God just built it right in, and sin always has this consequence in our life. That's why what we do matters. Because when we take matters into our own hands and say, I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to fix it my way, I'm going to make my dreams come true, I'm going to get it all, I'm going to have it all, and we do it our own way because we're so desperate, we want, instead of wanting what God wants, we sabotage our life. Listen, God is God's greatest desire. The reason that God gives us guidance and wisdom is not to keep, not to keep us from something, but it's because he wants something for us. His great desire is to protect our greatest joys, to keep us from those consequences. And the day David realizes that there is a price, he repents. He mourns. And in 2 Samuel 12, and if you're following along, you can find this in your scoop, the scripture right there in your Bible app. We, here it is, 2 Samuel 12, verse 11 and 12. It says, this is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Like, whoo, it's a little harsh. David did murder someone. And you remember what we talked about last week, right? Leaders are accountable. God's saying, listen, you stepped in this leadership position. You did this thing in secret. You thought you were just going to get away with it, manage it. But I am telling you, there are consequences, and it will be known to the whole kingdom. And why would God do this? Why would God say, like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this? Like, but this emptiness that David felt that would make him so desperate to run from God and do things his own way was driving his whole life in this season. I mean, if, if the kingdom of Israel and if David was going to be secure, because I, I want you to hear this. God is not mean. God is intentional. God is saying, David, your heart is so far from me right now. You are so hard. You are so desperate. And you haven't been with me for so long that if I don't do something, I will not rescue your soul. And you will just keep running down this path away from me. And so I want you to know, David, there's going to be consequences. And what I hope, David, is that you'll soften your heart. Now, if you read the rest of Scripture, you'll see that God, God speaks this through prophets a lot. And that often what happens is someone will turn back, whole cities turn back to God, and God says, I will relent. But I want you to turn back to me. I want you to depend on me. 
But this is David's story, and so let's look at what happens in David's story. Verse 13, then David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, listen, the Lord is going to take away your sin. The Lord is going to forgive you. You understand what David said? It's like he's saying, I have separated myself from God. I have, I have distanced myself from God. And what I want to, what I really want to repent of, what I really want is to God say, I'm not, he's not done with me. That he's still going to be with me. That I could still have a chance with him. And Nathan reassures him, you're not going to die. You're broken, you're flawed, you're messed up, but you can still find your way back to God. It's still possible. That's our life, right? 2 Samuel 12 says, speaks to this whole idea that, that we all have in our lives, and this is, this is so important when, when things get messed up in our lives, and sometimes that's by our own doing, our own decisions. Sometimes that's because somebody else made a decision. Sometimes it's just because life went sideways for us. But in those moments of brokenness, in those moments when things have gone sideways, in those moments when you're like, God, how did I get here? I can't believe I'm here. The, the, the key thing that we can learn from David's life is that he welcomed brokenness. He didn't run from brokenness. He entered into it. Sometimes all the harsh realities that bring us to those moments, we're like, we're trying to avoid them, we're trying to get rid of them, but listen, I want you to hear this, there is beauty in brokenness. Some of the greatest things of life change in my life have not come in the places where everything's been going smoothly. They have come when my life and when my heart was broken. When things went sideways, when it was out of control, when I realized Sean can't control it anymore, Sean can't do it anymore, when I surrendered in those moments and welcomed brokenness, God did so much transformation. Because when you are broken, you are desperate enough to be open to God. And then what happens? When the wheels come off, you are most open to say, God, I need you. You have to show up. I'm desperate for you. And that makes for some pretty special moments in our lives. And it takes some courage. And this is the moment that we find David in. He's saying, listen, God, I have messed up. I have, I have, I've, I've tried to fix it on my own. And what I want to do is surrender to you. This, I, I want to find my way back to you. And in this space, we find a real lesson for our own lives. And, and it's this, it's in those broken places when we're like, man, it's all messed up. We find that we have, if we want to we really know God, if we want to really be transformed, if we really want to meet God in those moments, if we want to find healing from our pain, it's this, it's in order to get well, we got to first get real, Right? Like in order for us to get well and to receive what God wants, in order for us to, to have God heal that wound in your heart, in your life, you have got to get real honest. You've got to be like, God, I, here's who I really am. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to act like everything's okay because there is no substitute for spiritual honesty. There is no way that we can get better when we cover it up when we hide it, when we pretend it's not there. And it takes a lot of courage, and there's messy decisions, and there are messy feelings, and 
your messy life, right, to, to bring that all into God's presence in an honest way and say, God, here I am. This is really me. How are you going to meet me here? You see, that's what David does. That's what's so important about the story is this is how he starts finding his way back. He chooses not to control it. He takes one step, just one step, towards dependency on God. But it's not, it's not like, you know, this story is not like a sitcom where it wraps up in 30 minutes and it's all perfect. Look how it all resolves. It's not how David's story ends. David's story is a real story, and it's raw. And so two years go by, and, you know, God's told him what's going to happen. Two years go by, nothing happens. Five years go by, nothing happens. Finally, 10 years go by. And after 10 years, the consequences that he's been warned about, they finally take hold. They begin to impact his life, and they begin to impact his family, and he begins to realize, my dreams, all the stuff that I dreamed of is, it's not coming true the way I want. All my expectations are falling short. Everything I thought of as a 15-year-old boy when I was out there facing Goliath and I was taking them down and everyone was cheering for me and I was like, this is who God is. I'm losing all of it, just slipping through my fingers. And David begins to resign to disappointment. Begins to resign to being helpless. Begins to resign to like, I guess this is just all there is. And so I want to tell you about this really quickly, these two tragedies that happened in David's family and how that all goes down so that we can understand what it is that we can take away from this so that we don't walk away from God, but we walk with God. So here's the two tragedies. Essentially, the first is about David's oldest son, Amnon. And Amnon was, he was in line to become king, but Amnon had this problem. He became obsessed with his half-sister, Tamar. So much so that he, like, couldn't get it out of his head. And one day he concocts this whole situation, this whole story, to get her to come to his house. And she comes and she cooks him a meal. And when she does, this is 2 Samuel chapter 13, it says, When she brought it to him to eat, he grabbed her and he said, Come to bed with me, my sister. He said, I thought I needed this. I think I have to have this. I'm going to make this happen any way that it can. And Tamar says, No. Don't do that. Don't dishonor God. Don't go down this road. This is not the way to go. But Amnon just continues on. And in chapter 13, we see the devastation that it causes when Amnon forces himself on her and rapes her. And it destroys David's family. And there is such destruction all through his family. And Amnon walks away from that filled with contempt for himself, for her, because the sin that he tried to take control of and do it his own way, it's just too heavy for him to bear. And then King David finds out. Now, you remember who King David is when you think of him as this guy who faced a giant and ran from Saul and didn't raise his hand against him. He, you think, wow, like, what's David going to do? Listen, David does nothing. He's furious, but he does nothing. And we're only left to wonder why, like, we don't have any explanation. Maybe it's because he felt like, I've lost my moral authority. Who am I to lecture my kids on anything? 
What I've done, what I've drugged with me from my past, he, he may have asked God for forgiveness, but he has not forgiven himself, and he is dragging shame with him, and he's dragging it all along, and he probably, there is, the, the whole story is silent when it comes to him seeking God, when it comes to him coming back to God, when it comes to him praying to God, and so he's just like, continually in this struggle, and he is stuck because he's not bringing it to God. He's not being honest, and he's not saying, God, I need you in this time. He is just stuck in his shame. Like, why would God even love a guy like me? This is David. And then David's son, Absalom. You know, David wouldn't do anything, but David's son, Absalom, Tamar's brother, says, if you won't do something, I will. And Absalom invites all of his brothers over including Amnon. And this is after dinner is served. This is what he orders his men to do in chapter 13, verse 28. He says, Absalom orders men, listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, I say to you, strike Amnon down, then you will kill him. And don't be afraid. I have given you this order. Be strong and brave. And so David's oldest son is murdered by David's favorite son. What happens? What does David do? Nothing. Nothing. Cast Absalom out. Just continues to just notably silence and seeking God. Notable silence and Absalom seeking God. It seems like David's stuck while his whole family is in upheaval. There's no one going to be God. God, I need you. There's no David running back to God and saying, God, I, I raised my hand against you. I don't want to do this anymore. Please help me. Ever been there? In that space where you're overwhelmed by life, taken over by shame, frozen by the pain of your past. It's something that's happened, and you're like, I can't even move on. I, I'm just stuck right here. Life does not go in the way I'm planned, and I probably deserve it, and I have this sense of loss and this grief, and I don't know where God is, and I don't know what to do in this situation. Susie and I have been, um, recent in our life, there's some family that's going through some really tough things, someone really close to us who, they're so desperate to have children and can't, and have gone through several losses. So we, I've been on the phone with them crying. We've been them, had them over and prayed. And she said, and I remember her saying, and it just stuck with me of like, I feel like God spoke to me and said like, I've got this. I'm going to be with you. Trust me. And yet this keeps happening. I don't know what to do. And what, my wife's always like, like what, do we, what do we say? say, well, all we can do is come into the presence of God and be reminded that he is good. And from my own experiences in the past where I've had pain and something has gone wrong and I've been frustrated and things have, just everything's gone wrong, I, I only have one prayer, and that's this. God, do not let pain and suffering have the last word. It can't be avoided. I know that Life is full of chaos, but don't let it have the last word. I know that you won't let it have the last word. Because that is our hope in God. 
God always takes us back. God always is for us. So this is David's story. 16 years after Bathsheba, David's world just unravels. His firstborn son is murdered by his favorite son, who then instigates a civil war and tries to kill his father and is eventually killed in war against David's own army. And a hollow victory because David as a father is just destroyed because he lost his son. He's heartbroken. And he's 61 years old. And this is not what he planned. This is not the way life was supposed to go. His dreams, his expectations, just all just slipping through his fingers. Now, if you recall in David's life, this isn't the first time that he's faced Overwhelming odds, disappointment. This is the the 15-year-old boy who stood on the battlefield against Goliath and proclaimed, God is good. I know that we can trust God. I know you're all disappointed, but I'm bringing you into the presence of God, what God can do here. This is is the 20-some-year-old that was on the run from Saul. His disappointment and things were destroyed and he took matters into his own hands and people people were harmed by it. People lost their lives because he made a terrible decision. He didn't even see it coming and he lied and he'd done all these things and he came back. He said, no, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that again. This is not the first time that he's had to depend on God in a dark season of his life. And, and the lesson that he learned in those seasons is the lesson that he needs now more than ever when he made a mess of his life, when it didn't go the way he expected. And it's this, God never abandoned him. God's love for him never changed. You understand, God is always nearby, waiting for us, waiting for David, waiting for us to seek him. And the chaos of your life, the disappointments that you experience, say nothing about God's presence or about his lack of activity that is happening behind the scenes that you cannot even see yet. And I think this would be David's words to us, suffering through all of that, that when you feel that you are forsaken, you are mistaken. Now, we should never assume that our circumstances, or from our circumstances, that God is not real. That God is not present. I think David would say, don't make that mistake. Don't waste years of your life stuck in some place where you think, no, God's not going to show up. God could never say that. When life doesn't go your way, do you understand that disappointment and suffering, it's all just an invitation to run into God's loving arms and say, God, I need you. I need you. I'm not going to go my own way. I'm not going to seek anything but you. It's always your chance in those moments to say, God, I'm going to let go of my expectations, what I think has to be, and I'm going to hold tight to you. I may may lose my confidence. I may lose my world, but I will not lose my confidence in you, that you are nearby, that you are at work. Now, here's the beauty of all these stories of David. 
we don't have to imagine what he would say because we have access to his journal, the things that he wrote and what advice he would give us. And so here's the words of David from Psalm 27. Written in a time where he was fleeing from Saul and saying things were not going the way he expected, things that he learned that we can learn from today. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me upon a rock. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. This was his mantra. This picture of saying, when things don't go my way, when dreams are dashed, when disappointment comes, when I feel like I'm dragging stuff from my past along with me, I will run to God's sacred tent and he will meet me there. I am never alone. I am never on my own. I never have to be afraid because God is always waiting for me to run to him, to be reminded of his presence to be reminded of who he is because our circumstances, listen, our circumstances do not define who God is. But who God is can define how we respond to our circumstances. You need to know that God loves you. The odds are stacked in front of you and against you. You need to hold tight to God. Know that he's holding tight to you. Each time, each time you face that, you run, you say, God, it's your time and it's your way. I'm going to walk with you. Now, here's the great irony of David's story that just amazes me. He is so flawed. He has made so many mistakes. He has messed up so many times. And people have paid such a high price. And yet he is called a man after God's own heart because he runs to God's sacred tent. He says, in spiritual honesty, here I am, God, this is me. I need you. <coughs> Excuse me. So, this is where we are today. Maybe in your brokenness today. Maybe you're frustrated, maybe you're angry. Maybe there's something from your past and you just can't seem to get past it. Maybe you're heartbroken. Maybe there's something in you right now that's just, you've been looking for someone to blame and maybe even blaming God for the way your life has turned out, for where you are, the place of asking big questions and human questions, messy questions. You know, God, you, you could have you done something to keep this from happening. God, I don't, I don't even know how to go on. I'm just sitting here confused, you know? Yeah, you hung in with that person for year after year. You hung with him or you hung with her. And now it's just not where you expected it to be. You waited and you waited for that promise to come true. And it's still not here. Now what? You raised them and you poured into them and you've, you've wanted so much for them. And it's just not going the way you wanted it to go. And if you're honest, you know, you're that person who's like, I've worked hard in this job. I've, I've, I've done all the things, but it's just not working out the way I expected. And this is the point, right? This is the, the huge and important point in our lives, the leverage point in which we make decisions. 
that either we try to control it and do it our own way, and we do something really dangerous. We say, God, I'm just going to, it's your fault. I'm going to fix it on my own. And we hurt ourselves. We withdraw from relationships. We create more debt. We do things we regret. We take pills to erase our pain. We do things that are harmful for us. David has a sad ending. That's the truth. David has a sad ending. But there's a lesson. There's something in this ending that is extraordinarily important. And I hope that you'll take this away today. That this will be the thing that you take away with you today. And it's simply this. The foundation of our faith. Listen, the foundation of our faith is not on answered prayers for our dreams. The foundation of our faith is not everything has gone the way I wanted it to and I planned it to. The foundation of our faith is not this is going to end happily ever after. Because it is, listen, it is always a mistake to wrap our faith around our dreams coming true. Wrap our faith around everything going the way we want it to go. It's always a mistake to have our confidence in God wrapped around what we think we need. And here's why. Because dreams don't come true. Prayers don't get answered exactly the way we want. And that says nothing about God's goodness and his faithfulness and him waiting for us and being there for us. And if you base the goodness of God, listen, I, I mean this because I've experienced this. If you base the goodness of God on your circumstances, you will miss out on some of the sweetest moments with Jesus that you'll ever have. When he meets you in these places of disappointment and he just sits with you. And he just weeps with you. And he just reminds you that as words of life and that it's not over. That it might not be going the way you want, but you need to let go. You need to say, I'm going to let go of all the things I think had to be so that you can do something new in my life. The question is, will we say, God, I will run to your sacred tent. I will wait for you, God. Pain will not have the last word. I will find strength in your presence, just like David. So that's my invitation to you today. Just ask, can you do that? To ask, where's your sacred tent? Maybe for some of you, it's maybe it's something like grief share, because you've got a loss, and you've got to grieve it, and you need to get into grief share. Maybe... You, maybe it's your small group. That's your sacred tent. You're going to run to those people. Maybe it's the reason you need to join a small group. Maybe today it's right here, in this space right now, where something has come up and you know what it is, and you, you just want to get into God's presence in an honest way this morning. So we're going to invite you to do that over the next two worship songs. We have communion here. Today we're going to do communion a little differently. We're not going to take it corporately. I'm just going to let you come and take it individually. To come to the table and to be reminded, you can take it at the table, you can take it at your seat. To be reminded of what Christ did for us on the cross. He said, I was broken for you that you might be healed. My blood was shed for you that you won't ever carry your past again with you. You don't have to drag it along. I'm proving to you who God is and he's good. And for some of you this morning, you might need to come and pray and there'll be prayer partners in the front row. This morning, you might be like, I need someone to help me get in the sacred tent. I do not want to let this moment go. And I want to, I want to encourage you to have courage. Take a courageous step this morning to be honest with God. 
maybe be honest with someone else and say, will you help me get into God's presence this morning? I need someone to have hope for me because I can't even have hope for myself in this circumstance. I need someone to pray over me. I need someone to bring me into God's sacred tent and say there is hope for the future. I invite you, welcome you, take that step. So I only ask one thing of you today. Don't rush. Don't rush to the table. There's no hurry. Stay your feet until God has moved in you. So you can say honestly, God, I want to get into your presence today. I want to know your presence. I want to see you. Lord Jesus, will you lead us into these next few moments, whether it's coming to have a sweet moment with you at the table, or whether it's coming and sitting with a prayer partner in the front row and having them pray with us and have hope for us, whether it's sitting in our seats and praying for others, whether it's someone else in our life that we're saying, God, will you give them hope? Will you help us to come and bring all of that into your presence and say, God, we know we can count on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.